0: Make sure to watch the Ringer's new live reaction show, Talk the Thrones. Each week, Andy Greenwald, the mother of dragons, Mallory Rubin, Chris Ryan, and our very own Maester Jason Concepcion are coming to you live after the East Coast airings of Game of Thrones Season 7. That's Talk the Thrones. It'll stream exclusively on Twitter and Periscope right after each episode ends and can be found on the Ringer's Twitter handle at Ringer. They'll be reacting at the same time as you, contextualizing the events and explaining everything that just unfolded. Again, this show is called Talk the Thrones, and you can stream it live after the East Coast airings of Game of Thrones Season 7 on our Twitter and Periscope at Ringer. And now here's the big picture.
1: The Jenix and Brett that wrote Lemon are not the Jenix and Brett that are sitting here right now. I mean, we were exercising our fear Our anxiety, our worry that we were going to be left behind. And we're definitely a little further along from that space that we were in six years ago.
0: My name is Sean Fennessy. I'm the editor-in-chief of The Ringer. And here's the big picture. We have a very exciting episode today. I'm joined by two people, Janixa Bravo and Brett Gelman. They are the writing, directing, producing team behind the new movie Lemon, which is an awkward, fascinating deeply unusual comedy about a failure of a man. But before we get to that conversation, I'm here with the success of a woman, The Ringers, Allison Herman, who writes about television for our website. Allison, welcome.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Allison, here's why I asked you here. We're going to talk about a TV episode. And the reason we're going to talk about it is because Genexa Bravo, one of my guests today, directed that episode. It's, it's I think, within our office, a fairly famous episode of television from 2016. It's called Juneteenth from the show Atlanta. Tell me about Juneteenth.
2: So Juneteenth is, well, what's interesting about it is it is the only episode of the first 10-episode season of Atlanta that is not directed by either Donald Glover or his longtime uh, music video collaborator, Hiro Mirai. And a lot of Atlanta episodes kind of fall under the rubric of a concept episode where something formally experimental or interesting happens in them. But the format of this in particular sees Donald Glover's protagonist earn... And his sometime girlfriend, co-parent, partner, person, uh, Van, go to a party at a very rich couple's house and deal with the kind of awkwardnesses and faux pas that happen all around them there. And it's a really fantastic comedy because Atlanta is extremely insightful about race And uh, the comedy uh, that arises from how we deal with that and the specific awkwardness of the setting is that the woman of the couple is a sort of mentor figure to Van. It's not quite clear what their relationship is, but it is made clear that it is in Van's interest to show up and look nice at this party and ingratiate herself with this social milieu. And then they show up and they find out that her husband is a white optometrist who. Paints paintings based on Malcolm X quotes and lectures, or like asks Ern where he's from in Africa and tells him that he should really go there sometime. Uh, yeah, it's and like tell, <laughs> the most amazing condescending faux compliment he gives is when Ern says that he's a manager because he manages his cousin, uh, Paperboy the rapper. He's like, oh, that's so great, uh, black people taking ownership of music. And Donald Glover has one of the most all-time jiffable reaction faces, which I don't think we really got an opportunity to see before Atlanta because he's mostly the comic performer, either as a stand-up or an ensemble member in community. And one of the amazing things about Atlanta is that it allows him to be a reactive straight man. And a lot of this episode is Donald Glover giving the side eye or just the incredulous gaze to someone who is doing something incredibly stupid in front of him.
0: Yeah. This the side eye would be a good alternate title for this episode, I think. And, you know, I think what Janixa brings to it that is slightly different than Donald or Hero is a very particular focus on the tension that comes between an awkward racial encounter or when there's privilege facing non-privilege and how people feel about that. And you know, it really makes Juneteenth a a a sister of some kind to Lemon and that movie explores it as well. But, you know, tell me a little bit about how she like frames the show and how she changes the, I think the milieu that you talked about is so different from how, where most of Atlanta takes place.
2: Yeah, so it's in a very wealthy household. I think um, one of the things that makes Juneteenth so funny to talk about is that Donald Glover's character kind of offers a capsule description when he's looking around and is like, this is like a Spike Lee directed reboot of Eyes Wide Shut.
0: <laughs> which is I forgot about the that.
2: perfect long line for the episode. But weirdly, actually, I was I was re-watching it and it almost reminds me of Get Out, like using the trappings of white affluence to inspire this feeling of dread and discomfort. Although the feeling of Get Out is obviously much more visceral. But I think maybe the... um showiest shot or the best example that I can pull of her visual shorthand is there's a moment where this white optometrist whose name is Crick gives decides to basically hold his audience hostage and force them to listen while he gives a like impromptu slam poem about Jim Crow. (laughs) And um, there are lots of, you know, just excellent pans to the audience of all these people pretending to listen politely, but the way she films him is from below in this way where he looks kind of warped and grotesque in a way that you can laugh at, but also understand why it is genuinely unpleasant to be in the same room as him. And it's something that kind of sticks with you after the episode in a real visceral way, I think.
0: Yeah, she gets a really great performance out of Donald Glover, too, that is slightly different from other episodes in the show. There's a kind of seething frustration happening where he's not afraid to. It's it's very clear how bad he feels about the experience he's having in this house. Right. And how much he has thought about this kind of experience before.
2: Absolutely. And I also think it's really worth shouting out the performance from Z Beats in this episode, because I think one of the most impressive things that Atlanta did in its first season vis-a-vis the pilot was really build up her character and the way uh Juneteenth ends up being an episode almost about, like, the compromises of partnership. So Van and Ern have this very unsteady relationship, and she's basically like, I need you here so you can play the supportive husband that you know you are not so I can support our daughter. And then there's a fascinating scene on the balcony between Van and Monique, her hostess, where Monique says, like, I know this is completely whack. It's My husband uses black people as a hobby, but I like him, but I love my money. And it's such a great moment of taking the varnish off. But the way you see Van think about where she is in her relationship and how this makes her reconsider where she's at is just so finely considered in a way that doesn't cut back on the comedy, but really, like, amplifies the emotional undercurrent of the show. And so I think uh, Juneteenth is the penultimate episode of the season. and. The finale is much more of a caper that isolates Ern on his own, and it's really low stakes in an interesting way. But Juneteenth kind of becomes the emotional climax or referendum of the season. It's the last time you see these characters together.
0: It's kind of the hard home of uh, of <laughs> Atlanta, right?
2: Yeah, or maybe it's the, the It's the Battle of the Blackwater, <laughs> Battle of the Bastards. It's like the the Game of Thrones uh, money shot. But I am yeah. contractually
0: obligated to make that reference in this yeah, podcast. Yeah, make that plug.
2: Yeah, but. Yeah, I think it's really a really interesting way of using this hilarious, unusual situation to highlight the running tensions in a pre-existing relationship in the show.
0: So Juneteenth is interesting because it's, you know, Janixa applying her point of view on a pre-established world that Donald has created with his writer's room and with his filmmakers. Lemon, though, is really, like I said, kind of related to it. And the tone of the sort of awkward comedy and the high tension that appears inside that comedy is a really interesting thing. And I feel like in TV, we've seen it evolve over the years. You know, I when you and I were just talking before we started, I was thinking of Curb Your Enthusiasm and the way that Larry David would throw people into social situations that make you want to tear your skin off. But I feel like that's changed somewhat over the years. Like, what are some other examples of that that you've seen?
2: Yeah, cringe comedy is obviously a hallowed tradition. But also in our conversation before this, I brought up catastrophe in the sense that You get the sense of these people as a couple commiserating together, and even though they might have their differences, they become partners in crime where they can kind of shoot each other these looks and shepherd each other through these awkward situations. And there's this whole genre of romantic comedies on TV right now. You're the Worst is Coming Back Soon is another excellent example. But the way of pairing these two people who stand out from their environment and sometimes Perpetrate the embarrassment but then sometimes can share the embarrassment between them is a really interesting mode of comedy I enjoy on TV right now.
0: So like our colleague Chris Ryan always says that he can't watch these shows because he doesn't want to feel – bad about social interaction. You know, he's Mm -hmm. a very sociable man. But, like, do you actually enjoy witnessing that? Like, I love Catastrophe. I think you do as well, right?
2: Yeah, I think Atlanta and Catastrophe and those kinds of things balance that out because there is the cringe comedy, as I mentioned before. But there's also the real warmth of seeing a connection between two people. But I would be lying if I said I could watch these movies or TV episodes without pulling up a different browser tab (laughs) while this is going on (laughs) or just maybe, like, muting it for a couple seconds. You know, sometimes you just have to, like, pull back and pull yourself out and make sure you're not identifying too much with these characters. There is
0: no true safe haven from awkwardness. But, Allison, thank you very much for being here with me today. I appreciate it.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: I'm here with Janixa and Brett. Guys, thank you so much for coming in today. Thank, thank you, you so much us. for
1: having us.
0: Guys, I want to start with this. I really loved Lemon. And I feel like whenever I talk to filmmakers, they always say, God, it really, it just like, it took us five years to get this on the screen. And sometimes they're full of shit, but it really did take you guys five it years. It
1: legitimately took us five years. Tell me yeah. when
0: at first the idea struck and how you guys decided you were going to do this movie.
1: Uh, the first draft of the script we wrote about six years ago at South by Southwest. We were, I was there with my first short film. It's called Eat. It stars Brett and Katherine Waterston. And uh, it was like two or three nights into the festival. And I met these two really awesome women who work at Sundance. Um, I didn't know in this moment that they worked at Sundance. I met them. They loved the short. They asked if I had a feature. I lied and said yes. And then at the end of the night, they gave me a business card. And it was like, we're from Sundance we're still considering scripts for our summer lab and I was like mmm okay and uh, I was like when do you want that by and they're like as early as tomorrow and I was like what's the most amount of time I have <laughs> and uh, they said it, whatever the day it was five days from that moment so I was like yeah, great. Like, I just need to revisit it because I haven't revisited it. And uh, and then on the walk back to our place, Brett and I were renting this place. And uh, I was like, remember those women I met that I was dancing with that I was talking to all night? Anyways, they worked at Sundance and they asked to read the script. And he was like, what script? I was like, yeah, there isn't one. So anyways, um, we should write a movie because uh, I've not – Eat was the first time I'd ever written and it was – A short film, it was like 17 pages, and I'd never written more than 17 pages. So I was like, gonna need a little bit of like a can you like Scotty to my Jordan? Maybe I'm Pippin, you're I don't know, we're gonna whatever that is, like we need that sort of assist.
3: So she already had this idea before South by, she already had been talking to me about semblance. She's like, I want to make a movie about panic um, yeah about panic about our panic but then it was also you know i'm sort of a not sort of i am a hypochondriac so i think a lot of it had to do at first with like my character seeing doctors which we never ended up writing into the script yeah there was a lot of
1: worry so I, i lied to these women and we spent the five days that we were at the festival writing the first draft of lemon we sent it off we felt great about it it was trash, Uh, it did not get in. Um, But what was amazing is that because of this deadline, uh, this kind of self-imposed deadline uh, that was the result of a lie, um, we ended up having this script. And so we spent just shy of a year, that was around March, working on it. And at the beginning of the year, Of the beginning of the following year, so this was like March of 2011 or 12, and the beginning of the following year, uh, Brett actually sent the script to Michael Sarah. I didn't think it was ready to send to him, but he did, and Michael read it that day and said yes to doing it that day, which sort of fast-tracked us into... Working on the film, and so we sent it to our. Re- I had no reps. Brett sent it to his reps, and they were like, "Great, let's make this thing."
0: Well, let, let me ask you. So, when you send it to someone like Michael, who's you know pretty famous, is is that why it gets more attention? Because you can say, "I'm attaching Michael, Sarah," or is yeah. it more just you guys felt an imperative to give him something?
3: No, it was like a pipe dream, like little fantasy uh, in the eyes of the reps at the time. Well, and they when hadn't read became- it either. Right. Had they not read it no, yet? No, we hadn't oh. shared the
1: script with anyone. It was pretty much just with us. We were talking about this thing that we were working on, and uh, I think they thought, well, that's not real because it doesn't exist. And, um, and I also should say that I met Michael at that South By on the street, and he saw my short eat and had— in that time sort of written Brett about really liking that piece and wanting to work with me in some capacity. So it wasn't just like we hadn't blindly sent it to Michael, and we'd been writing this part for him. So it was kind of this – it was serendipitous that Mm -hmm. we were writing this part for him, and then he actually liked the thing that I made. And so Brett sent it to him. He says yes, and then once we had this sort of piece of casting, it was like this person that's of note is saying yes to – director who's only made one short film and and Brett who had not been a leading man in a uh, feature. So once we had his yes, it was like, oh, this feels real and the reps sort of perked up to, uh, they wanted to show up to it.
0: That's interesting. Yeah. So was it always going to be you and you, Brett, in the lead, at, and were you guys always going to work on this together, write it together? Or was there a version of this that somehow goes into a, maybe a more of a studio scenario or something? And Never. you're like, it was always going to be you guys doing this, no matter yeah. what. Otherwise, yeah, we were, don't do it. Yeah, we just don't. There's not a
1: studio version of Lemon. I mean, there is if it's not Lemon, mm-hmm. it's something completely. Yeah. But I hear different. so many stories
0: about, like, oh, well, Michael Sarah's attached now, and then all of a sudden it's like Chris Pratt starring in Lemon, you know, like the, the, yeah. the, the
3: equation changes somehow. But right. you guys were steadfast. Then we did one financier. Um, I did. I think did bring up switching the roles.
1: Michael playing that part, yeah. and then you. Oh, and yeah. we
3: said no, and we said no to their money. I mean, there there was money that we said no to mm-hmm. because they didn't want to make the movie in the way that Janixa wanted to make it, or they didn't want. There was me. that one
1: person that was like, "If this is all, if this was all black, I could say yes to it."
3: Wow. Oh yeah.
1: That lady that right. was at a studio,
3: yeah
0: because and I was like, first
1: of all, you're full of shit you that is not, uncommon. <laughs> I was like you would not say yes to this if it was all black. I think that the, in the her her thinking was like your face is black, and if this is black, I know how to talk about this or how to sell this. I'm like confused by like your black face his white face like what's the conversation here i'm I'm out yeah I mean
3: well the uh, black filmmakers get screwed on both sides they're not given the same trust that at all that white filmmakers are given and then when they are allowed to make things uh it's only allowed to be about like three different subjects which are
1: i mean i uh, think women would argue that i I think this goes the same for women filmmakers as well it's just people want you to make the thing that you're embodying, and it can be confounding how you're going to get inside of something if it is not connected to you, and then I guess white guys get to tell whatever they want because they just can or they're capable of. I think proving capability is a thing that is hard for people.
0: So there's uh, some of that theme is inside the movie, right? It's inside the story you're Definitely. telling. There's an essence of uh, autobiographical, but also the tone is a little bit, it's a little bit difficult to define it. I won't try to define it. I would okay, say people should cool. see the movie, <laughs> but how conscious were you guys about saying, you know, this is our story and our point of view on the world without feeling like you were feeding some expectation about representation or only embodying as you said you know were you having nerves about uh, telling that part of your lives
1: no i think we're both pretty comfortable with where we're at or where we feel like we're not and where we'd like to go we're both very safe in ourselves with putting that out there i mean it's i think it's pretty clear the things that feel like us i mean brett's jewish his character's (laughs) jewish um, I'm a black person and there are black people in the movie. Um, there is one scene that is very much like definitively from our lives, which is how we met. We met on uh, this uh, commercial nine years ago on a New York Lotto commercial where Brett was playing a Jewish minstrel. And I was a stylist on that. And so the scene where he and me and me is sort of an homage to that place that we met. And it was like... This really upsetting job that was definitely, um, like, racist. I mean, he played a Jewish minstrel whose sole purpose is to sell lottery tickets to like the poor so that's not great um and and then our families i think it is Are
3: i think you, i did the lord's work and is that
1: what the lord wants really for jews or for one, you
3: one very lucky poor person um a bit of a cursed dream so
0: i uh, that racist I exploitative really, commercial brought yeah. you guys together
1: yeah on the last day of uh of that spot uh brett asked me out on a date and i said yes and then uh and then I think our date consisted of um, us going to a comedy show where he performed that I slept through. So uh, that was our first date. And I don't remember the bit I did. I probably. I, I mean, I hope you don't. Why yeah, would you remember that? I don't know.
0: Did you guys have creative chemistry the first time that you met, or was it just purely we're, we're going to have a relationship? Because I'm always curious when people start when they're when they're in a relationship and they start collaborating on art. If you could sense that early on.
3: I think we built to that. I mean, I think that I i don't think either of us are people that could be with somebody in a relationship that is not at the top of their game with what they do, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Um, that is like my nightmare is to like my partner to be somebody who I have to lie to about the quality <laughs> of their work.
1: So would you so, lie to a partner, though, if like the sex was great? Like that's when you're lying. I'm just curious, like when you're going to lie.
3: When am I going to lie? Yeah, like
1: why would you stay in something that you were lying? Oh. Like what would be okay enough? Like what would
3: I think I think lots of people do and see see their partners as checking some box mm. in themselves rather than, you know, and and seeing the ways in which they benefit them personally and, and are more able to compartmentalize them not doing what they do well. Got Whereas it. I don't, I think that that very much factors. I don't think you or I are that way. That very much factors into how we size people up is how
1: good we, they are. We sound what great, they do. by the way. I, mean, <laughs> I, I, I feel maybe I should not,
3: leave. Well, we're not people. We're not people who like to lie. You know, we can only lie and humor so much. So. Yeah, I mean you don't want to be constantly telling anybody that they're good when they're bad as, you know, at what they do or their personalities. And we do like to be open and I think there is an openness to how we like to approach things cuz that's what we want from an audience. We want an audience to to feel like we're reaching out to them mm-hmm. and and uh and not mm-hmm. feel like we're just displaying confidence up on that screen.
1: I was going to say that I think that the sort of synergy, if you will, of our how we came together creatively is probably rooted in that our sense of humor is very similar. Mm-hmm. Not in execution, but the things that make us laugh or the things that make us very upset or the things we're really concerned about are are pretty symbiotic and how... How we want to laugh. I know you didn't want to label Lemon, but I think Lemon is surreal and absurd, and that is the stuff that we both really gravitate to. I was going
0: to ask you to do it, for, yeah. for fear of somehow getting it wrong. <laughs> well, I
1: would say it's surreal. It's. I think it's a surreal comedy. It's an absurd comedy. It's an experimental comedy. It's a stressful comedy, and... The, all of the work that we have made independently fits under those banners.
0: Can you d- do an elevator pitch for this movie? I'm fascinated to know like how you explained the movie to people before you started
3: making it. I always say that uh, come watch me fail for 90 minutes. <laughs> Is
0: that yeah. accurate? Yeah. yeah,
1: I'd say that. I'd say, yeah, we said it's a comedy about failure. It's a comedy about a plateau. And... Sometimes we go as far as to say it's an exercise or a conversation with privilege and mediocrity.
0: So you did eventually finish the script and got it to the place that you wanted to.
1: Yeah, we did. Then uh, what happens? So when Michael said yes, things kind of fast-tracked. And we sent the script out to more casts. We sent the script out to financiers and... We got money and we put our cast together and on the first day of pre production, one of our actors who was not in the film, so I can't name them, um backed out because they had another commitment and and when they backed out we lost a good chunk of our funding and it was pretty impossible to do the money to do the movie at the money that we had. So it all fell apart, like, very quickly. Like, in three to five days, the whole thing sort of crumbled on itself, and I fell into a very deep depression uh, that lasted for, I think, the rest of that year. And at the end of the year, for me, Michael was a part of this company called JASH that was launching, that is Michael Sarah, Sarah Silverman, Tim and Eric, and Reggie Watts. And so they were, they had money, and they wanted content, and I had written this short film called Greg Ugo Boom, that I pitched to them and they really liked and then we made that and so that was my follow-up to that very sad year.
0: Do you think that Lemon would not have been I don't know maybe as accomplished or as like confident if that hadn't happened if Gregory Goboom hadn't happened and there hadn't been that pause? Uh,
1: definitely no question I think that I think that the amount of time that it took to make Lemon is exactly the amount of time that I needed to sort of incubate, actually. I think I could have made it probably a couple of years ago. But in the time that I wasn't making it, I made eight short films and I worked on an episode of television and I didn't go to film school. I went to theater school. So that time was for me kind of my film school. So I feel... I feel sort of grateful, I guess. Right now, anyways, and looking back, I feel grateful for that time. I even feel grateful for that frustration because all of that anger and anxiety and pain went into what the final product is.
0: Hey, guys, we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsor. And today that sponsor is Proper Cloth. Finding a dress shirt that fits is really hard. I was just having this conversation with my producer. Something is always off when you're trying on a new shirt. Thankfully, ordering a custom shirt has never been easier with Proper Cloth. At propercloth.com, you can easily create a custom shirt size in seconds by just answering 10 simple questions. Not to mention you can choose from over 20 collar styles, 10 cuff styles, and 500 fabric styles. I did not even know there were 500 fabrics. From classic to business to completely customize your shirt and get the style that you want. The team at Proper Cloth works with the best fabric producers from around the world and only buy fabrics that meet their high-quality expectations. Each one of their shirts goes through extensive quality control testing, so you're getting the absolute best quality and craftsmanship best of all proper cloth guarantees a perfect fit meaning if somehow your shirt doesn't fit perfectly they will remake it for free this is the future of shirts these shirts are completely made custom for you starting at just $80 so stop wearing shirts that don't fit start looking your best with a custom fitted shirt go to propercloth.com backslash bs today enter gift code bs to save $20 on your first shirt do it today and now back to my conversation with jenix bravo and brett gelman what is it like on set between you both? Obviously, you made a short. You've made short films before this, but on a, on a feature where you're working together, I mean, you're in you know eighty percent of the shots of the movie. How do you communicate? Is it clear to screaming. everyone? Honestly, yeah, no. Screaming, honestly,
1: though, lots of screaming. No, uh, it's. I think we were. Our relationship was not in the room, mm-hmm. really at all. I mean, I think that there are some moments where. Things were a little bit like off kilter, I would say, where, you know, making movies is not easy. And Brett is also a producer on the film. And there are these, there are a handful of moments where things got like incredibly bleak. And I, for the most part, really keep actors out of that. And I mostly kept Brett out of stuff like that just because he needed to be in the film Mm -hmm. and not worried about what was happening outside of the film. But there were a handful of moments where things were like super fucked up and people were not acting right. And I will say like in those moments, like there is this sort of energy of like, well, my partner is here. And and I, I never exercised it, but Brett did. Like he would sort of see something not okay happening. And, um, and a couple of times, not because I asked him to. I, and in fact, I would scolded him for doing it um, but did sort of stand up for me and it but it was also kind of awesome I liked having that because I was like it's sort of like I have my own bodyguard here mm-hmm. um, that I don't have to like He'll on his own just be like really bullish but uh, beyond those dark moments it was I would say the best part of it for me was that was that drive to and from work in this shared experience of like this is my partner, and this is the thing. This is our baby, and we get to make our baby, and that feels really good. And um, you know, like shit talking to and from work about like who we hated um, was <laughs> yeah. was like incredible. Sounds like a normal marriage. Uh, yeah, yeah. it was like pretty pleasurable. <laughs> it was also really great for me because I could, um, since Brett is in most of the film and he's acting with the other actors, I also felt like I could I could step away a little bit more to kind of deal with like the fires because I knew that. Brett was—like, the other cast felt safe with him, and I'm like—I it, it, didn't have to kind of, like, babysit as much. I could take space a little. Just being able to, like, look across the room and know a lot of these people in this room might not be okay, but there's definitely one person here that is, like, really on my side and in my corner.
3: Well, that was, you know, part of my job. I mean, a big—one of the most important parts of a producer's job is to protect the director and make sure that they have room— to only have to focus on the creative side of what they're doing. I just, I had to do that at times, you know, even when I wasn't being asked to do it. I'm very good at sniffing out problems and uh, reading bad vibes in a room. So even if when she was like lying to me and trying not, and trying to protect me, I I still found out what was going on because you know I went up to like other producers and was like what's happening and you know <laughs> scared them into into telling me the truth and <laughs> that only helped with my performance because he's a really there's a tremendous amount of anxiety and rage that goes into uh <laughs> into producing in that type of environment and uh you could not have enough anxiety and rage in Isaac, you know, he's filled with that, and that's a, you know, that's a big thing that Janixa taught me too as an actor, which is like how to have rage. No, like <laughs> um, these things that are happening to you off Use camera. It it's all a part of it Channel and it. you should yeah. use it. And it's a very odd thing because almost like the the off camera takes care of you in that way and like also almost like makes you a method actor if you let it because it is very strange. It will mirror what is happening in the piece at least in an indirect way.
0: I wanted to ask you guys about the loser white guy comedy because I feel like the first few reviews that I've read of the movie are like essentially the headline is this is not your average loser white guy comedy. Right. Um, <laughs> Which, you know, is a compliment, but I was curious, <laughs> like, does, is the movie in some way a direct reaction to this this idea we have of this, like, ne'er-do-well who then comes out on top? Is, it, um, is that what you're thinking of? A million percent. Yes? Yeah.
1: Yes, it is a thousand percent a commentary on this kind of genre of 30-something, 40-something year old white guy who is flailing through life, but that everything works out for. I kept hearing in sort of like discourse about these movies, there was like a, there's just something about him, there's just something about him, there's just something about him. And I was like, he's disgusting. Whoever this he is, I'm like disgusted by him. And also, I've wondered if you could do a character like that that was of color and that the audience would walk away going there's something about him. I think they'd be disgusted. And so, um, yeah, Isaac is that character. And like in those films, those films like navigate the love life, the career, And um, and family, Lemon goes through love, life, family and career in the same way. But it's all plateau and it's all failure and it's all, like, not going to work out because I think that is the reality of that kind of man to me. Me, Janix, and when I see that character, I'm like, nothing works out for this person. They're a fucking piece of shit. (laughs) And and they're not good. They're also, like, they're not good at the thing. They don't deserve that woman that they're with. I don't understand how they live in this space that's so large. Like, what is their job? Like, I don't – it's like none of it makes sense. It's like the context is totally bananas because it's naturalism but then – there are these things that don't make sense, but perhaps if I lived in a different body, I—I I mean, it's just—I, it's like me, Janixa. That wouldn't—that's not how it would work out for me. That's not how things work out. For
3: yeah, me. yeah, and it's also you're not. Exper- yeah, <laughs> I'm like, what uh, do also, you think?
1: <laughs> the, those
3: those guys are not experiencing the real pain of that situation and the existential. Uh, <laughs> impotence of that of that situation that they're in you don't see that they're kind of just like coasting and they're cool with it and it's like
1: soft nose whereas like we're used to hard nose and hard nose feel really bad
3: No, no decision is made no decision is made so that's like every element of this film was to be a decision it was also to be something that did not give any easy answers or wrap things up in a package or explain anything to the audience it It is word perfect because these movies that it is reacting to are not. It is tightly designed, you know, because those movies are not. I mean, but it's also because that's how Janixa works and nothing. Yeah, I was but like, thank you. I, was like I, I was like, can I have some credit? I was like,
1: can I have some credit? Right. Um, I also, I am fascinated by the psychology. Well, it's
3: all you, darling.
1: It's all you. Thank you. I am pretty fascinated by the psychology of like sort of like my contemporaries who are drawn to this subject matter where things do work out for. And I think if, and I think they're drawn to it because maybe perhaps in their own life that happens. And I am repelled by it because, like, that's not my path. My path isn't things working out for me all the time. My path is filled with a great deal of rejection, actually.
0: I want to ask you about that. So, specifically, you mentioned you directed an episode of television, Juneteenth, like one of the best episodes of TV last year on Atlanta. Oh, thank you. And, in that episode, as well as in your film, the notion of a sort of like excruciating social experience is really at the fore. And I'm interested in how you compose that and how you figure out how, when is far enough to go and when is, you know, h- how to f- determine the level of excruciation someone can experience.
1: Yeah. Um, Well, it's something I really like. <laughs> okay. I really like it in my own work. And when I was sent it was really funny to me that I was sent that script I mean there were 10 episodes of that show and there were 9 available when I met on it and when I got that I was like oh this is like so my thing and I want I was like do they know that's my thing is that why they're sending it to me or is there something else like I love race race play is like hot for me and um, and then this uh, like you said there's like a level of discomfort that I really like and uh, I don't know how... I, I don't think there's a way for me to describe that because I think it's just, like, innate. I it think it's just, naturally. like, a, yeah. a thing that I feel... I also can... Feel, I, I'm also pretty comfortable with things being, like, maybe, like, a little too far. For instance, there's a scene in Lemon, without giving anything away, where there is a um, a sort of tug of war between Brett and Michael Sarah, And... Um, And I remember seeing the first edit or the first cut of it. And it was pretty short. It was probably like 15 seconds. And uh, my note to our editor was to make it longer, to our editor, Joy McMillan. And then it was like 20 seconds and I was like longer. And at one point we had it going for... I think like 90 seconds and that was too long. I think it's like at 45 now, but it was a little too long. But I was like, that's the thing that I'm okay with like going a little too far to the point of like not being able to last or the point of things being so unbearable in comedy because I don't know. That's just the thing that I like. I like feeling stressed out. I like feeling pushed, pushed to a limit.
0: You talked about getting the hard no a lot. Now you've we talked about Juneteenth and obviously the movie coming out, I suspect that you'll be more recognized as an artist. You'll have more opportunity. How do you guys figure out what to do next? Will you collaborate on the next thing that you do?
1: There's definitely uh, there are definitely some opportunities that have risen and we'll work together again. I mean, the people who the Jennings and Brett that wrote Lemon are not the Jennings and Brett that are sitting here right now. I mean, we were exercising, exorcising our our fear our anxiety, our worry that we were going to be left behind. And, I mean, I think that's still a little bit of just how we operate naturally because our brains are broken. But uh, it's not... We're definitely um, a little further along from that space that we were in six years ago.
3: Yeah, especially you.
1: Oh, thank you. Should we go through my IMDb credits?
3: I uh, (laughs) I don't know where I'm at. No, um, (laughs) she's working on, like, a couple... Can't talk about. Can't talk about anything no. specifically. No. That's astounding. She's, she's working on a few things. I'm working on a few things. We're writing something together. She's, you know, going to cast me in some things. Maybe, you know, I don't know. We gotta.
0: It's almost like you have an inside track.
3: We do have he an does. inside track. He I does. mean, I am pretty lucky that I do get to meet. Uh, meet. Have we met? That I do get to work with. Um, my favorite director right now it's pretty pretty awesome um, don't blow it wouldn't say that because that's a horrible thing for me to say being in a relationship with the director but that's how strongly I feel about it Sean and, uh, and I made it clear that that was your like how you how you how you work right I wasn't saying like
1: are you talking about the like two questions ago yeah. I don't think I, no, no one cares. Because no the one's way like, in which oh, you were like, oh,
3: maybe I had something to do with it that you thought I was. I saying. I was just jabbing
1: like, at you. I know what you meant.
3: But I was clear.
1: You was clear. I know you
3: know what I meant. It's, I want to make sure that John Q. Public or Jane Q. Public, rather.
1: I've never heard that.
3: John Q. Public. No,
1: first time. Really? Yeah, first time.
3: Central. Everyone's America.
0: gonna believe you guys have a deeply healthy relationship. I don't. I wouldn't worry about any of it. But <laughs> I just wanted to make.
3: But it is. I mean. This, I, I very much felt like I was along for the ride because I got to play the lead, and so I'm an actor, and that's enough for a narcissist like me. <laughs> well, so I'll basically do anybody, anything anybody tells me uh, and agree with anything <laughs> as long as I still get to play the lead, but in addition to that, It was, you know, in the way that she works is she's coming to the table with so much decided already. And then when she tells you what she's decided, it's all awesome. So there's no weirdness there. Just let the director do her thing. I
0: like to wrap these conversations by asking people what the most interesting or exciting thing they've seen recently is. So I'm curious for both of you guys if you have an answer to that.
3: Ah. We're watching Twin Peaks. We're watching Twin Peaks. I mean, Twin Peaks is unbelievable. It's uh, amazing that that's on television. There
0: is a little bit of a commonality between Lemon and Twin Peaks. Do you know what I mean when I say that?
1: That is, first of all, a massive compliment. Okay, thank Thank you you so much. You're welcome. He's my favorite. Okay. Um, But there's something tonal
0: and sort of like uh, not easy to define, and you're trying to figure things out, but you are you are in
1: its own lane,
0: mesmerized by it in a way, though. You know, there's like
1: something familiar and then not at all familiar at the same time. And
3: I think different moments. Like the same moment will mean – in a Lynch film or in a Janixa film will mean way different things to different people. Right. Some people might find something just disturbing and some people might find that disturbing moment really, really hilarious. And both filmmakers make nightmares.
1: <laughs> I was going to say I think he works in nightmares and I feel I work in anxiety.
3: Right. But it's a – yeah, it's a different type of nightmare. But it's it's an it's more of a like – you forgot to memorize the lines for the play <laughs> that you're going to perform. Oh, that kind of thing. Yeah, as opposed to like a demon is living. Yeah, under he's more your
1: bed. he's more <laughs> he's more like demon behind the garbage can. Yeah, yeah. I'm more like internal demon. Am I gonna be okay? I hope
0: yeah. you exercise some of those demons. Brad and Janixa, thank you for coming in <laughs> thank today. You so I much appreciate it, guys. Thank you thank bet. You. Congrats on Lemon. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks again to Janixa Bravo and Brett Gellman for sharing some of their personal, intimate truth with me. And uh, check back next week. We have a really great episode with one of my favorite directors, Adam Wingard, who has a new movie coming to Netflix called Death Note. We had a pretty fascinating conversation about the process of getting that movie into the world and what it will be after it gets there. Thanks very much, guys. Ordering a custom fit shirt has never been easier thanks to Proper Cloth. At propercloth.com, you can easily create a custom shirt size in seconds by just answering 10 simple questions. Not to mention, you can choose from over 20 collar styles, 10 cuff styles, and 500 different fabrics from classic to business to completely customize the shirt that you want. So stop wearing shirts that don't fit. Start looking your best with a custom fitted shirt. Go to propercloth.com backslash BS today. Enter gift code BS to save $20 on your first shirt. Do it today.